Let's read from God's word together. If you turn to John chapter 4, verse 43, you can read with me. That's on page 1067. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They'd seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they'd also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when the son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus has said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. Thank you, Rachel. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Thank you. That's lovely. Um, My name's Andrew. I'm part of the church family here. I'm going to help us to look at this passage together. I think the lights are going to come up a little bit so that you can see your Bibles, because it would be great if you had your Bible open. A number of people already do. That makes me very happy. Thank you. Page 1067. Page 1067 in our Bibles. It's John 4, uh, beginning at verse 43. And we've called this uh, sermon, Responding to Jesus. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands. Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, great amen. This is a passage about a royal official responding to Jesus. And in fact, the whole of John's gospel is about people responding to Jesus. If you ask John who wrote this gospel, why did you write it? Of course he would say, I wrote it because I wanted people to, to know the Jesus story. But I'm sure that he would also say, because I want people to see how they can respond to Jesus. And the way we can respond to Jesus is by believing in him, by trusting in him. And that doesn't stop when you become a Christian. It goes on and on and on because faith can grow. Um, I'll just give you two examples in the gospel. In the very first chapter, John writes this about Jesus. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name. It's about believing in Jesus. It's about trusting him. And you go nearly to the end of the gospel and you read this. Jesus did many other signs that are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. 
and that believing you may have life in his name. It's about believing. Those two references are John chapter 1, verse 12, and John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. The whole gospel is about responding to Jesus. It's about believing in him. And that Jesus is with us this evening. We've already been worshiping him. And we can make the response this evening to believe in him, to trust in him. Uh, the, 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 the passage we're looking at starts with a bit of a puzzle. Have a look, please, at verse 44. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. I think that's really strange. I mean, verse 44 says that a prophet is not, um, doesn't, isn't honored in his own country. Jesus is, was brought up in Galilee. He arrives in Galilee, and then verse 45 says the Galileans welcomed him. I think the end of verse 45 explains what's going on here. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. So the Galileans who were welcoming him had been in Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and they'd seen the miracles that Jesus had done there. And they're welcoming him, they're, they're receiving him, they're being positive about him, really because they've seen his miracles. And John's gospel does say that the miracles of Jesus point to who he is and why he's come. But John's gospel also says that if you believe in Jesus only because of the miracles, that's often a superficial faith. It's often not a very firm foundation for life, for believing, for living with Jesus. So John says, okay, let me tell you about one miracle that Jesus performed and about how a royal official responded properly, correctly, deeply to Jesus. Let's look at this story and let's be open to the Holy Spirit. Firstly, in verses 46 and 47, great need, great need. Have a look at verse 46. Once more, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. That's not a dramatic pause. It happened because I turned over two pages. (laughs) And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. So this man, he's almost certainly a Jew. He works for King Herod. He's a royal official. And his son is ill. So what does he do? Uh, Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son. This is the very strong word. He begged him. Because this is a situation of great need, isn't it? Because this is not just a minor illness that this boy has. Look at the end of verse 47. He was close to death. So can you begin to imagine how this father is feeling? He might lose his son at any moment. It's a situation of great need. Do you know what that's like? Have you been in a situation of great need? Actually, the Bible says we're all in a situation of great need. In this sense, all of us have the great need of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. All of us are sinners. God is a holy, just God. We all need forgiveness. We've all turned our backs on God, not just you, me too. 
We need forgiveness. We need reconciliation with God so that we can become God's friends again. We're in great need. But there are other great needs that we have sometimes, like this royal official here in this passage. Your great need may be, you may be in great need at the moment. It may be illness, it may be your own illness, or the illness of someone in your family or your friends. It may be loneliness that may even be made worse by the fact that tomorrow is Valentine's Day. It may be unemployment. It may be you're a student and you're struggling with your studies. You don't know whether you're really going to be able to continue. It may be depression. Or it may be what you're thinking of now. I haven't said it, but there is something that really is dragging you down. Something that you've been praying about maybe for months or even for years. And nothing seems really to have changed. And it's crushing you. I bet there are some people who are in that situation now. You're in great need. And all of us at some point in our lives are in great need. Anyway, that's this man, this royal official. He's in a situation of great need. Secondly, in verses 48 to 50, effortless authority. Effortless authority. Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. This is not Jesus saying, I'm not going to heal your son. This is Jesus just repeating this principle that if people believe only because of the miracles, it's not a firm foundation. It's not a good thing. In any case, the royal official is not put off by that. Verse 49, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. I read that wrong. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's desperate, isn't he? Crying out to Jesus that Jesus will help. Now look at Jesus and his effortless authority. Verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. Now, I think that's an astonishing sentence. Go, your son will live. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, go, your son will live, fingers crossed. He doesn't say, your son will live, let's hope everything works out. He's absolutely confident, he's certain, he's sure your son will live. Effortless authority. He's obviously done it. He's sure. And I love the first word of verse 50. This man, this royal official, has said to Jesus twice, come with me, come with me and heal my son. He said it in verse 47, he said it in verse 49. And Jesus says at the beginning of verse 50, go. I don't need to come with you. I can heal at a distance. I have effortless authority. How is that? Isn't that staggering? Jesus doesn't need to be with the son and lay hands on him or anything like that. He can heal at a distance. Effortless 
authority. And if you read a gospel, any of the gospels, if you read the gospels and you see what Jesus does, you will see his effortless authority and again and again. One of my favorite bits in the gospels is in Mark's gospel and Mark tells us four miracles that Jesus performed back to back. And in each of these miracles, we see his effortless authority. Um, He stills a storm. So he and his disciples are in a boat and there's a terrible storm and Jesus stands up and says, quiet, be still. And the storm stops and the sea's calm. Effortless authority. And then a man who's possessed by demons, many demons, so that the man's nickname is Legion, comes up to Jesus and Jesus says to the demons, come out of him. And he's set free. Effortless authority. If you believe this is true about Jesus, feel free to lift your heart to him now and worship him. And then Jesus is walking and uh, there's a big crowd of people around and a woman who's been ill for 12 years comes up behind Jesus and just touches his clothes. (laughs) And immediately she can feel that she's well, that she's healed. Effortless authority. And then Jesus comes to Jairus' house. Jairus' daughter has died Jesus says to the dead girl, little girl, get up. And she gets up. Effortless authority. Let's worship Jesus. Jesus has effortless authority over nature, evil, sickness, and death. And I feel like it's like Mark is saying, would you like to mention any other area? If he's got effortless authority over nature, evil, sickness, and death, he has effortless authority everywhere. Wow. So Jesus has effortless authority. Look again at the beginning of verse 50 here in our passage. Go, your son will live. No doubt about it. Great need, effortless authority. Now thirdly, in verses 50 to 54, growing faith. Have a look at the second half of verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. I think John, who wrote this gospel, has written that sentence very carefully. He doesn't just say, the man believed Jesus. Because that might be that he believed Jesus because he'd heard about these other miracles Jesus had performed. He was just believing because of the miracles. No, look what John writes. He took Jesus at his word and departed. He decides that what Jesus says is true. That is faith. Believing Jesus While he was still on the way, verse 51, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, well, I I have to stop there. Why did he ask when his son got better? I think it's because his faith is growing and he thinks there's a miracle happened here. I need to find out what time this happened because I remember what time Jesus said those words. 
They said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And this man's faith is growing, isn't it? His his faith is growing in Jesus and his effortless authority. And this results in not only the man believing, his faith growing, his faith being stronger, his family believe and his servants believe. Look at the end of verse 53, please. So he and his whole household believed. I used to think when you, when you become a Christian, you believe in Jesus. I still think that, and, and that's, what, that's what, what you do. You believe in Jesus and you, you're a Christian. But I used to think that was it, and your faith kind of stays static like that. Um, but actually, faith grows. If we get to know Jesus better, our faith will grow. Faith grows, and it grows stronger, and it spreads out to others as well. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus, then you want other people to believe too. Something we can be praying for this week, Southampton University has its events week this week, beginning tomorrow. And it's a fantastic opportunity. There are all sorts of events going on that students can invite their friends to just so that they can find out for themselves if the Christian faith is true. Many, many events weeks at Southampton University ago. Was that an English sentence? I think it was. There, were, there was a student, a Christian student in the, in the CU called Alan. And uh, he had a friend on his course called Mike, who wasn't a Christian. And Mike had never come to anything that Alan had invited him to. And um, they, they were good friends, and Alan used to pray for him. And it came to their third year, they were in their final year, and there was an events week. And Alan gave Mike a flyer and said, look, we've got this events week coming up, the CU would be great, would you like to come? And Mike said, well, if I've got time. Didn't seem very interested. Uh, Alan went to all the events in events week because he wanted to grow. He wanted his faith to keep growing. So he went to the lunch bars and he went to the evening meetings as well. And on Friday afternoon, he thought, I'm not going to go to the evening thing tonight, the last bit of events week. I'll go out and get, a, get myself a takeaway. So Alan is on his way to get his takeaway and he bumps into Mike. And he says to uh, Mike, where are you going? And Mike says, as if it's the most natural thing in the world, I'm going to events week. So Alan (laughs) changed his mind about the takeaway (laughs) and said, I'll come with you. And Mike became a Christian. That is Jesus' authority. Jesus' effortless authority working in somebody's life. Now, I've already mentioned there are two sorts. I've had sort of two categories of our great need. We've got the great need that we all need forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Well, let me tell you some good news. If you are willing to turn from your sins 
and put your trust in Jesus who died on the cross for you and who rose again, you will be forgiven immediately. It's a done deal. It's finished. It's wonderful. The offer is there. Maybe there's somebody here who's not yet a believer in Jesus. You've been thinking about it. Maybe you've been coming here on Sunday evenings. You've been wondering. You've been talking to a friend maybe. Maybe even reading one of the Gospels. And you're beginning to think, I think this stuff may be true about Jesus. Well, if you decide to turn from your sins and trust Jesus, then you are forgiven now and forever. (sighs) But what about the other needs that we have? I mentioned some earlier, and there's the one that you're thinking of, the one that's maybe crushing you at the moment. I would be wrong if I preached this Bible passage and said, you, you, you bring this to Jesus and Jesus will solve it immediately. That will be gone. It'll all, it'll all be different. It's just not true. And a lot of us as Christians, as believers in Jesus, we struggle with this because we know that he loves us and it's very hard when we bring our great need to Jesus and sometimes that he he changes things and sometimes he doesn't seem to do it at all. And that is very hard, isn't it? Um, I'm talking about prayer again. I think the last few times I've preached at a bar, I've ended up having to talk about prayer, having to. It makes it sound as though I don't want to. But it's just every time it seems to be about prayer. So I'm going to have to say something I said last time as well. You could do this bit of the sermon, but I'm going to do it because I've been asked to do it. God always answers prayer with one of five answers. Here are God's five answers to prayer. He always answers prayer with one of these five answers. Yes, No, wait, do it yourself, mind your own business. I could show you where those are are in the New Testament. God always answers with one of those five answers. Yes, no, wait, do it yourself, mind your own business. And it's a really painful thing And I can think of situations in my life where I've been praying for something and God has not answered that prayer with a yes. He has not given me what I've been asking him to give me. And it's incredibly painful. There's one thing that I was praying about for years and it didn't seem that Jesus was doing anything about it. And sometimes we're in a situation where we have to pray this prayer I think it's a really important prayer that we pray when we're in a situation of great need and we've been asking God to work and yet it doesn't seem that he's yet answering that prayer by intervening and changing things. And when I pray this prayer, I'll tell you what the prayer is in a minute. When I pray this prayer, sometimes there are tears as I pray it, but I think it's a really important, healthy prayer. Sometimes I've been in situations where I've had to pray this prayer, Father, I don't understand you, but I trust you. And I find that hard to pray because it's sometimes hard to trust God when you think, well, why wouldn't he answer this prayer with a yes? 
but it's really important that we trust God. He knows best. He's in control. He makes no mistakes. But let's finish by coming back to this passage. We see Jesus's effortless authority. Do you want your faith to grow? I hope you do. I hope you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I want my faith to be a growing faith. I don't want my faith in six months' time to be exactly like it is now. I want it to be growing, to be deepening. Well, here's three things you can do if you want your faith to grow. Firstly, ask God. Ask God to cause your faith to grow. Have you ever asked God to do that? It's a great prayer. Ask God to help your faith to grow. Secondly, use the faith you have. Uh, If you're a university student, use that faith to give a flyer to Mike or whoever it is on your course or in your flat or in your halls and invite him to something in events week. But that applies to all of us, those of us who are not students as well. Use the faith we have. Let's trust Jesus as we go into this week. And the third thing we can do if we want to get more and more uh, into the position where our faith is growing, we should read the Gospels. You could read a bit from the Gospels every day and you look at Jesus and you see his effortless authority. And the more we look at Jesus and see his effortless authority, the more our faith will grow. Why wouldn't it? Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? The more we look at Jesus and see his effortless authority, the more our faith will grow. And when that's happening, we will experience Jesus and his joy. Let's pray together. Just a brief silence in which we can make our own response to God. Maybe there's one thing that you feel that God has said to you. Maybe it's even that you want to pray that prayer, Father, I don't understand you, but I trust you. Or maybe you want to praise Jesus for his effortless authority. Just a brief silence, just bring what... God has spoken to you, to him, and then I'll say a short prayer. Lord Jesus, it is astonishing that you came into our world. Thank you that you were willing to leave the glory of heaven and come into our world, a world of sinners like us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your effortless authority. We pray for all of us. We pray for ourselves. We pray for those sitting next to us that our faith in you will grow. And we pray it, Lord Jesus, in your great and strong name. Amen.